1: Check out
2: transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
3: Across America, BP
2: supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: Hey, it's George Chen and you're listening to Sub Doc, a show where we talk to our friends from the world of entertainment about their favorite documentaries. Today, we're talking about It Came From Aquarius Records with the director, Kenneth Thomas, and a few of the subjects of the documentary. Screening at film festivals right now, the doc chronicles a nearly 50-year-old record store that grew internationally as ambassador of Bay Area music curation. We follow the owners Wendy Chen, Andy Connors, and Alan Horrocks as they navigate the changing world of music streaming, gentrification in San Francisco, and struggling to keep their ideals alive. Along the way, there's interviews with Matt Groening, Aaron Turner, Wayne Coyne of the Filming Lips, Liz Harris, Howie Klein, and many more. Kenneth Thomas lives in Los Angeles and made a documentary called Blood, Sweat, and Vinyl DIY in the 21st Century, as well as a film about the band Old Man Gloom. We're also joined by three of the past owners of Aquarius Records, Wendy, Alan, and Andy, joining us from San Francisco. And here's our conversation. We're starting. I'm going to introduce everyone on the show. Uh, First up, we got the filmmaker, Kenneth Thomas. Uh, Introduce yourself, Kenneth.
4: Hello. My name is Kenneth Thomas, and I am the filmmaker of this movie we're going to be talking about today. It came from Aquarius Records. Actually, I am the producer, director, camera operator, editor, sound designer, color corrector of this movie, it came from Aquarius Records.
0: Don't bury the lead on the color correcting. That's a big That's a big gig. The color, cra- I wish I could gig. be color correcting. Uh, it was,
5: uh, yeah, it was quite a was, it was quite. You lovely. could be color corrected.
0: It, that voice right there, let's introduce <laughs> it's Andy Connors, one of the former co owners of Aquarius Records. Hi, everybody, and uh, his past and current co worker, also uh, Alan Horrocks. Hello, and that's then. Me. The uh, past owner of Aquarius and uh, current knot maker and uh, author, give it up for Wendy Chin. And by knot maker, you mean that she is a maker
6: of knots, not that she's not a maker.
2: Well, we really call ourselves knot tires. I'm a tire.
4: Okay. But
6: not, not a tire. T-
4: knotist. <laughs> a knotist. knotist.
0: <laughs> a <knotiest daughter>. <laughs> <laughs> And Knotter. He's the naughtiest. <laughs> No, so I didn't go to the screening. You guys had one screening in San Francisco, right? Is that at the, uh, was it SF DocFest? Is that what it was? SF DocFest
4: at, at the, the Roxy, Roxy yeah. on uh, <clears throat> Friday night. I think it was just, yeah.
0: I out, was your absence was noticed. I was going to say, because I, <laughs> I am in the film very, I have two brief scenes in this film. Shout out to, to me. I get, a, I get a point every time uh, it's, it's mentioned. But yeah, um, this is a, is a film about Aquarius Records. Uh, you, you, three of you, you owned this store at different points in time. Uh, Ken, how did you, when did you decide this is a thing you're going to start filming or, or, or thinking about? Uh,
4: I believe it was suggested to me by Andy and or Alan. I don't know who suggested it first, but <laughs> I had made two other music related documentaries. Uh, one called blood, sweat and vinyl. And one called Here's a Gift for You, a film about old man gloom, uh, which is about a band I discovered at Aquarius Records. And the first documentary, I can honestly say every single band in that one, I also discovered at Aquarius Records. And Andy was in both of those documentaries. Alan was in one of them. So at some point, somebody said, you should just make a documentary about the store. Mm. (laughs) And a light bulb went off in my head. like, yes. And it could be the Aquarius Trilogy. So and, this is the third piece in the Aquarius trilogy.
0: And you made a film about a bunch of record labels before. Is that, that that's what you're referencing?
4: Yeah, that's Blood, Sweat, and Vinyl. Uh, that's the name of that one. And uh, yeah, it was about, I focused on Hydra Head Records, bands like Isis and Pelican, um, Neurot Recordings, Neurosis being the big band, the big band from that one. And then Constellation Records, like Godspeed You, Black Emperor, Do Make... They think things like that.
0: Yes. And Carla Boslich uh, also oh, yes. on that label.
4: Yeah. Yeah. She's in that as well. Um, with a really rip roaring performance from one of her albums. With I uh, actually got her with Ava Mendoza on oh, guitar nice. when she was briefly in the band. So I was very happy to get that in the movie. A lot of
0: people have been briefly in that band. I was yeah. briefly in that band for one show at the Eagle. I was in the Really? In <laughs> what did band. you do? Play played guitar and, and evangelista for one show at the Eagle. And Holy I cats. think the amount of money I got, I bought an external hard drive. I'm like, I need to do something with this money. Oh, I'll buy an external hard drive. This I'm going to store all my future podcast work. And you also made the Sad Vicious documentary, which is right. Did you make the Sad Vicious documentary? Oh,
4: yes, that's right. Yeah. So Sad Vicious is featured heavily in the Old Man Gloom documentary that oh, okay. I mentioned um, because Aaron Turner, the singer of Old Man Gloom and ISIS, is really, really good friends with Scott Vermeer from. Um, sad vicious. So yeah, that's how I met Sad Vicious. And then from there, they're like, we want to do a tour documentary. So yeah, myself and Scott kind of helmed and and Stu as well helmed basically, uh it was a co-production. I um, like that he, this is doc. something
0: so obscure that you you three don't know we're talking about. Sad vicious. <laughs> no, let's <this> just <is> talking <laughs> about sad
4: vicious for the rest of it. They would look he's talking about. I was just surprised
5: that he forgot that he made it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Just made so many documentaries you know
5: thank <laughs> you i'm actually blocking it out because it's the only movie ken's made without me <laughs> so it doesn't even count for me
0: <laughs> it's it is it is it is quasi fictional so it doesn't quite fit into the oeuvre unless it unless it was alan
5: i'd like to go on record and say that alan and i did not suggest making a mu- movie about aquarius what that is true we did not yeah did it's ken's, it, was ken's, it, it, it was ken's idea No, ken came to <laughs> us and said i want to make a movie about aquarius Yeah. I never would have suggested. I felt
4: like it was mentioned in passing,
5: kind breaking of breaking like, uh, news.
0: Breaking news here on the pod.
5: This is again. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad he did it, but it definitely wasn't our idea. Well, I will say that
4: you might be right, and and, uh, <laughs> and if I am right, I'm right in the sense that I feel like it's possible it was mentioned in passing. Like you're here all the time. Why don't you just make a movie about the store? Almost kind of, it's like a sort of like a one-off sort of like, whatever, what's this guy with the camera always hang out in the store for? And then it was just like, Oh, wait a minute. That's possible. That happened. Yeah, that is possible.
0: Um, I was going to ask about the, the, the chunk of time that involves all you guys. I know that period personally from being around from the nineties till now. Uh, but the period of the previous owners was that, that first kind of 20 minutes of the film where you get into all the all that weird uh, history. I, I say weird history because it's like it, it's neat to me because it's just kind of like it seems like oral tradition that's just been passed down. Right. It's like a lot of storytelling. I'm sure you've all heard versions of those stories from working there. Right. At some. But then d- you're getting it directly yeah. as like I, lear- this kind I of learned like, stuff from yeah. from
6: seeing the film. The the first screening, I was like, yeah. Alan it? and I were talking about we had heard the sex pistol
5: story, but the um about the store being robbed, but the the sort of actual origin of the store, neither Alan or I knew about. Yeah, like the stuff how, about
6: the classical shop, on well, knew, knew nothing yeah. about. There was a lot of
5: new t- uh, stuff even when, new
6: to even when we saw the so, movie. It was so. interesting, and it was also great. Yeah um yeah and uh, that's what I'm yeah uh and it was like it's probably half the movie not just the first 20 minutes i'd say i i no,
0: yeah, I, I, I think it's yeah well ken would know How much it's of it actually yeah it uh, it's the first
4: <laughs> 31 minutes of the movie okay. <laughs> to be precise
6: To be and precise
0: did you know a lot of those stories ahead of time or was it just like getting those people getting like uh chris knab or penny uh on on mike and then this stuff just started coming out just like as an aside or something. is it did this stuff kind of come out that way?
4: All of that information in the first thirty one minutes about the history of the store, uh, I did not know about it. all just sort of came out as they were talking about it, which was pretty awesome. And that's how I like doing these um, documentaries. I like to go in with in a way um as as little knowledge as possible if if that's uh easy to understand obviously i need to know about the store and what the store is but i but the sort of like surprise that the person sees when they tell you about something and they get eager oh you don't know about that well let me tell you all about it and then they just tell you the whole story i'm just like yes i did not know this Yeah.
0: yeah i i i get that sense watching it it's just like it's like this you know everyone in that first chunk is just like just something that's just like this. Oh, this random thing that happened in 1974 that I have perfect recollection of. And yeah. it's it's just like one of those things. Um, so that stuff's really that all that was new to me as well. Um uh the I didn't know that Howie Klein came out of the store or that 415 Records came out of that store. Oh, yeah. Christian you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. And I, I don't know that everyone here knows. And Howie Klein's going to be at your screening, right? Is yeah, that that's right? correct?
4: You know? the, for the Los Angeles premiere, he's going to be me and him as the special cool. guests after the screening. Which he lives right down the street from where I work at Los Angeles City College.
0: Oh, crazy! And yeah, yeah. so he—I didn't realize he was. Uh, yeah, he had signed like Romeo Void and stuff, or he had his own label and had a couple of popular bands in the early '80s on on Four and Five Records.
4: Yeah, he and Chris Kanab actually started 415 together. And Aquarius was sort of like the testing ground. Well, the, the name of that club in North Beach. Um, Mubuhai? Yeah, Mabuhay no. Gardens. That uh-huh. They basically went to shows there all the time and would see bands and then just say, oh, this would be a great band for the label. Oh, this would be a great band to, to get in the store. That sort of a thing. It was like the total like... And then they had a radio show on KSAN where they would play all this stuff. And according to them, it was the very first punk rock radio show in the United States. Chris Canab and oh. Howie Klein on K in the seventies. And it's, it's, um, what was that? I think there. I was going to
6: say I think there's a recent either a documentary or a book about four one five records. There
4: is. It's a book. I oh, that. yeah, by a guy named Bill Kopp. K O P P. It's really good. It's called uh, "Disturbing the Peace" because that's what four one five, I guess, is yeah. oh, like the code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's a great book, and it goes into detail about all this stuff. But yeah, Howie Klein made all that stuff happen, and then he jumped into the major label world after that.
0: Yeah, and and I and he dragged David Katz Nelson with him, which I didn't know that part of that story either. Right? Oh, but he, that
4: is a great story. I was interviewing Howie Klein, and he started telling me stories about when he was working at Warner Brothers that coincided with David Katz Nelson. And only then did I put two and two together. I was like, "Wait, do you know David Katz Nelson?" He's like, "Oh yeah, he worked for me." I was like, what? And then he's just like, oh, yeah, the flaming lips. Like, that had to go through me. Like, you know, David Katz Nelson, like, brought the flaming lips to Warner Brothers, but I'm the guy that said, yeah. And he signed on the dotted line and made it happen. Oh,
0: yes. And, and with, like, for, the boredoms.
4: And for people games. who don't know
5: who that is, explain or who
0: David Katz Nelson is. Yeah. Or who, <laughs> who the boredoms are
5: either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or I, there's going to be a lot of people here that don't know a lot of these things. Uh, well, David
5: Katz Nelson was a friend of the store and an early investor. And, He also is famous for he was an R -R -R for Warner Brothers. He was famous for signing unsignable bands to Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah, Blaming Lips, Boredoms, et cetera. So, and he would come into the
2: store and with this like hungry look in his eyes and buy everything we put in front of him and leave with armloads of records. He and then like, there, the Hungry Looker or Stone day. Look.
4: I was going to say, he was very, very high and he would forget that he bought it. <laughs> he was hungry <laughs> he and stoned. Yeah. They, they, they go together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he was, you know, the quintessential Aquarius customer that kind of like brought what he found from that world yeah. and brought it to, the, you know, the rest of the world in a way. You and know? he had his own label too, which was great. Yeah, yeah Birdman. is that That's his yeah. label,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, great guy. Uh, Wendy, how was watching this film for you? Cause you've kind of maybe had the most distance from this and you've been out of it for the longest, uh, right? Like you left oh. a, a while back. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, the distance, it doesn't really mean anything to me. I mm-hmm. always say, I always think of Aquarius as being like, it's like, it's like, like I think of it as like my baby or all of ours baby, right? So even mm-hmm. though you're not with it anymore, you still get to like, it's still a part of your, like a huge part of your life that you kind of don't really forget, you know? And you get mm-hmm. to take, kind of take credit for like helping to make it happen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it, you know, people ask me all the time if I miss it or if it feels far away. And I'm like, no, I don't miss it because it's st- it will always be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, addition. it was great. It was super awesome.
6: Mm-hmm. Wendy, do you... Do you or anybody here? Well, not Ken so much, but actually Ken, maybe to any of you, do you have dreams where you're in Aquarius Records or or in my case or Andy's Wendy's case, like working in Aquarius Records? Is that a common dream at all? Okay. I, for a little while I or was a nightmare. Having this... Common nightmare, perhaps. <laughs> for I think I told you this I don't, for a little while I was having this weird dream where
5: the store was like somewhere else where it was really rainy and overcast, and you and Jim were running the store. And I would sneak into the store and steal stuff. <laughs> what does that mean? That's a, I don't know. In-
6: interesting. But I would be like a lot to unpack would, there.
5: Well, we'd be talking, and I'd be like st- sticking stuff in a bag, and then you'd be looking at me, and I'd be super nervous. And I'm like, "Ooh, can Alan tell that I just stole a bunch of
6: records?" Wow. And I'd be like, "Okay, guys, I gotta go." So hmm. <laughs> I had a lot of interesting. Uh, yeah, I have. I have dreams where Andy and Wendy <laughs> and I are all working the store. I have these dreams every week still, like. I'm Sure, oh, that's I have, weird. I'm sure I had a dream like this this very week where in the store we're working the store, and somehow it's like some weird, like, mix of it's not back then, it's somehow now, and we still have the store. And Wendy and Andy, we're all still working together, and I forgot to order something for the weekend or whatever. And and it's like one of those things, those, you know, the you're in high school or college dream where you didn't go to your yeah. class all year and you've got and a test, and it's kind of that yeah. kind of anxiety dream. And I wake up and I'm Super relieved for a number of reasons, but then also a little a little sad, but mostly relieved, but a little sad. I think you should
5: (laughs) talk to your therapist about this.
0: I I, (laughs) want to talk to my therapist about that and about
6: your dream. So
0: (laughs) Alan, is your dream is it like the Valencia Street store or is it like a blur of the knowing? Does it they kind Um, of does the geography kind of like it's the inception itself?
6: (laughs) I think it's the Valencia Street store.
0: I mean, I have a lot of great memories
6: of the store when I first started there on 24th Street, but uh, I think the dreams generally take place in the Voincy Street store, yeah.
0: It was really, it was trippy, like just watching, because the only other film I would compare this to, obviously, is the other music documentary, which I I really enjoyed, but I did not have as much, you know, time in the other music world as I did in the Aquarius Mm -hmm. world, just like knowing that building super well and knowing the little stoop outside and just like seeing you guys take smoke breaks out front of the, on the studio. Wendy taking a smoke break. Wendy taking a smoke break. Andy and I don't smoke. <laughs> Jim doesn't smoke, right? No, he <laughs> now. now. <You've-> Jim <laughs> smokes in the documentary. <laughs> Ken,
4: do you smoke? I used to back in the day. Mm. Not anymore.
0: But yeah, that, that like kind of stoop action. I oh, remember that stoop I smoked action. on that stoop. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I obviously know that block really well. And I've been on that block a bunch. Um Real quick, did you guys eat the pizza at the, around the corner across from Jay's Cheese Stick? What is the name of that? Is that the sure. pizza you would get the most? Or did you get Escape? Uh, it used to be called Pizza Pop, and then it became...
5: Shoot, I can't remember what it's called. I can't did remember what
0: it's called, either. I
5: can't remember what it's called, but it was originally Pizza Pop, and then it became something else. But yeah, we used to eat there all the time. Yep.
0: But then you started working at Escape. Like, Let's talk about that. I briefly worked at Escape also uh I like drove. For that. Well, I think that's the
6: docu- we- Is this in the documentary? Yeah, <laughs> it the is. Escape, yeah. escape things. And, in the Andy's, documentary. Andy's next documentary is going to be about George but,
5: Chen's life. But, but <laughs> I think we knew. I think it's because we both we all knew Chewy and oh, Chewy that's was. that's what it was. Yeah, Chewy was like a local rock celebrity friend of ours, Whoa. and then he bought he bought the that whatever location, you call it yeah. that location, and then was always trying to get us to work there. So, and we did. Some of us did. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and so, yeah, like that period of time where you, are you, were you guys not taking a salary at all? Or what was, how was that working near the end? Like you, like, as you had his other job doing the pizza thing. I
5: think it was, I think it's fair to say it was maybe sporadic. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had to pay, you had to pay everyone's payroll
0: first, right? Is yeah, that what well, was, I, yeah. I think what, yeah, everybody what, else what got I, paid and then
6: we didn't always get what
5: paid. What I think we, as an indication of maybe how bad we are at running a business, but also how nice we are how how nice we are and how I mean, not to be like self aggrandizing but like like a normal a normal person who had a business that was not doing well would likely fire everyone and do every everything themselves. Where we chose to not fire anybody so they could keep their jobs and then we just paid ourselves less or not. Yeah.
6: know, <laughs> yeah, in, in retrospect, that was maybe a bad it's
5: move. It was a bad move, but, but it, you know,
6: it felt good at the time. It's good karma. And not only not only that, but when we sold the store and Stranded took over, they we had to deal with them that the, you know, our employees would remain employed there. Yeah, and two of them still work there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember so. that, and I, I thought that was a, a very a good move, a menchi move yeah. to do. Yeah, menchi, menchi. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Is that how you say? That's how they say it. No, no, uh, yeah, yeah, it's menchi so along the lines of like we we now have like this uh, sort of illustrated story of the Sex Pistols robbery Uh, each of you have you probably have uh, a story that you would sort of encapsulate uh, as like you know your quote like just like some kind of folklore that kind of uh, you have about the store some weird incident that's happened do you each have one of those
1: when we're having a busy day we would take the 20s out of the cash register, or 50s if there were any, and and put them in a safe in the back so that there wasn't that much cash in the cash register in case anything happened. So because it had been so busy, nobody had dropped the money in the back.
3: Bruce and Chris and I were standing there going, oh wow, that was so exciting. Oh man, we just sold all those records and waiting for everybody to leave.
1: And so there was one straggling guy, and I said, come on, we got to close up the store. And he comes up to the counter and he pulls out a gun.
3: A big old gun. I pulled up the tray where we kept the bigger bills, and I was separating all the checks. I didn't want him to take the checks. And he was like, give me the money, give me the money. And so I put all the money in the bag and then got back on the ground, on the floor.
1: He takes all the money from the sex pistols, (laughs) you know, extravaganza sale of their first album from england
3: and uh and he said if anybody gets up and tries to get me i'm gonna blow your my buddies out there we're gonna blow your brains out and so i was like crawling to the back of the store to call out cops and chris was like hanging onto my ankle no don't get up don't get up and so i had to go to a police lineup and um spotted them so i had them ask everybody who was in the police lineup to say, what time do you close, and give me the money. And so, when it got to him, it was like, yeah, that's the guy.
1: When I got home that night, and I got over the the jitters, you know, of having a gun in your face, uh, I had to think, is this an omen? Am I not supposed to be involved with punk rock? (laughs) You know, know, I mean, you think everything, right? But, That was the debut of the Sex Pistols album in San Francisco.
3: Ah, Ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good
1: night.
4: figure lending LLC DBA figure equal opportunity lender NMLS 1717824 terms and conditions apply visit figure.com for more information for licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org
2: hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting
3: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
5: The, the flaming lips in store, which I thought was kind of crazy when they were, they came oh in God. with those, these giant chocolate skulls that they were selling for like two or $300. And, yeah. and we had like a line, like not even exaggerating, like all the way down the block to like Google yeah. it was crazy. Yeah, it, so the, yeah The crazy thing I remember that's more like, C- crime oriented is do you remember that that like gangbanger was being chased by the cops and he like ran into the store into the back room and then into the alley and we were like ah what do we do like that was super freaky oh i, know
6: I think it might be being chased by some other gang
5: yeah. actually i don't know there was any no. cops involved i think the scariest thing was and i almost forgot but i had this on my desk is you know we were at the bottom of hill street like that we were right across <clears throat> valencia street from hill street and at one mm. point Something happened and a truck lost its brakes and came down, flipped over, slid across Valencia street, knocked over the park parking meter and stopped like an inch from the glass window. Oh my God. So there's just this truck, like the front of a truck against our store. And so on, on my desk, I had pieces of the like truck, like as a souvenir. That was really scary. You remember that?
4: When did that happen? Like what year was that?
6: Oh, I have no
4: idea. Wow. It
2: was after I was I left.
4: know
6: I know it wasn't there the day it happened though. But yeah, that was really that
2: scary.
4: Is nuts. Wow. Was not there? Yeah, I don't think we
5: had we didn't have a lot of like we never really got robbed or we never got
2: no. Well there was um... that funny story that I wasn't there exactly. for it that day, but it it originated from when we were in Noe Valley when um revolver records got robbed. Revolver was a local distributor and their warehouse got robbed. Um, mm-hmm. this was when their warehouse was in the Bay shore when they oh, yeah. th- were first starting out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then the, the thief came to, to hawk all of the <laughs> records at Aquarius and we, and I guess it was John Arnold, I think maybe a former coworker of ours. Um, like it was obvious that it was a thief because he was selling like a hundred copies of the same Melvin's record or something.
4: Oh
5: my God! And
2: so then they they made Good a date job, for the next day for the for the thieves to come back and get paid. And the guys from Revolver came, and the 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 Melvins came as Muscle. The Melvins, kind of muscle <laughs> the, yeah, as Muscle. And um and yeah, they got all their records back. But I wasn't there for it, so I know that, that so it cool. happened.
4: That it's is so apoc- cool. They agreed to do yeah. that.
2: It's an apocryphal story, <laughs> but that was like, uh, yeah, we had remarkably few like brushes with crime or were victims of like, you know. Bad things, behavior. Were, things
6: were different in the seventies, apparently. Yeah, according to the we're guys, we're part of the gentrification where there's less less crime.
5: Yeah, I the think to be to be brutally honest, now that it's been long enough, we didn't really how much a, steal. <laughs> well, we didn't really pay much attention to it. Like we had a very primitive theft system where we just took the CDs out. So I and you know we had that we had boxes and boxes in the back of like cases without CDs, which I presume. And and CDs without but, cases. Yeah, so there I was some, a there lot was some of shuffling. occasionally stole stuff, but it didn't really it wasn't a big deal we didn't pay attention to it and we didn't have like a alarm on the door or anything. We sort of just like yeah. did what we could. We were it, kind of even from the beginning, I don't think we we have we never even when we were doing great, we never had tons of money. So we yeah. never had or time, you know, we never were like, let's close the store and fix everything. We were just right. like, you know. But
0: surviving and making sure everybody got their records, and no, so yeah, yeah. yeah. no we one kept ever the baseball ran. bat behind the counter. We never had to use it. Right. No. <laughs> uh, no one ever ran after someone down the street like they used to do at Rasputin's. Like they'd chase someone out of the store back in the day. Oh wow! They, I don't think they, so. If they if try to, yeah, we had a crazy
6: person come in the store once and take off their clothes.
0: It was you that one that time, Andy? Alan? Is that just that one time I did that?
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I you know, remember two gym. times. Two times. And of course, there's the famous time where Jim wouldn't let Anthony Kiedis use the bathroom. <laughs>
4: yes, I was going to say, you got to tell that I story. Know that.
5: Jim, Jim kicked him out because he thought he was like a junkie or something. Right? <laughs> you Which is, didn't know
4: he was, right?
5: He kind of yeah. was. But I was like, oh, do you know who that
4: was? He's like, I have
5: no idea who that was. I'm like, that was Anthony Kiedis.
4: Yeah, he wanted oh, to I, use I the bathroom. And Jim's like, no, yeah. we don't let the public use it. Oh, bathroom. and then
5: there's the time. There's the time where Alan got in an argument with John Zorn. About, Thanks to Windy.
6: Windy. Wendy. Wendy <laughs>
1: Maybe we
5: kind of picked the fight, but Alan yeah. sort of took it up. And it was like, whether John's music belonged in jazz or an experimental and Alan and John it, Zorn got it. Yeah, it. John, he came Zorn- in,
6: John Zorn was in the store and he was complaining <laughs> that his music was in the jazz section and on the <laughs> experimental section. Then Wendy's like, well, Alan over there, put it in the, the jazz section. <laughs> <laughs> something, something like that. You didn't say it like that would he, but, but point is she was like, you know, put was it on me. Well, probably, and I explained <laughs> that. Yeah. Because. The experimental section is always <laughs> this big morass of different stuff. And I, my, my feeling was if you could find any excuse to take something out of the experimental section, put it in a different bin in the store, that was probably a good move. Because otherwise, it was just this jumble of all kinds of different things. The experimental means anything. So John Zorn, dude's playing a saxophone
5: yeah that's jazz. saxophone is the, what it comes down to put yeah in the jazz the sa- section right? there's a saxophone John Zorn
6: didn't buy that argument so you know we had a difference of opinion and uh, you know that's we, oh, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't we haven't we haven't spoken since
0: oh my god so. He should be
2: happy that we had like a little name card for him and like a whole yeah, like we put all his shit into that section. Not every artist's got a name card. Also, did you just say that I had a crush on him? Because that's not true. <laughs> no,
0: no, we know. So that. Said no that. one said <laughs> that. That sounds okay, so like I a, little...
5: No, <laughs> a little, no, f- little Freudian slip there. No, <laughs> no. Um, I do remember another good one where um, Boots Riley. Oh yeah, was, that was a good one. was oh, was yeah. doing was doing an article for some magazine he was recreating it was classic it was, scenes
6: it it was for the film it was for the film fest and they're actually filming things to yeah. show in front of uh well movies. he was recreating he was recreating yeah.
5: classic scenes from his from films he loved mm-hmm. yeah. and one of them was the do the right thing where they threw the garbage thing and so alan had to play the racist shop owner <laughs> yep <laughs>
0: The John Sturo, you're the John Saturo of that team.
5: Yeah, and then yeah, boots. and he had this, but it was From funny because he had this little tiny waste basket. He's like, "I won't hurt your story, I promise." And he just kind of <laughs> like threw it, in and it went thump and like on Yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah I, I would love to see the footage of that. I don't know whatever happened. I have to photos it. of it. I don't have yeah. the video, but I have yeah, you photos took a photo on your phone. That's right, I yeah, I thought um,
2: you were going to tell the story of how uh, their record came out. Like, didn't it uh, come uh, out the, the 9/11 11 record? Yeah. And it came out on 9-11, the coup, his, his, his group at the time. And, um, they, you know, the, the infamous album cover of it, that's so crazy. And so they, they recalled it, right. Or they they released it with a different album cover, but then he gave us like hundreds of copies of the original. (laughs) And so when someone bought the cover, we would bought the album, we would give them a copy of the original sleeve with the, um, twin towers on it.
4: Whoa. That's local community right there. Wow. And Uh, I think most of my
5: rest, most of the rest of the memories I think are are like, for me would probably be in stores, you know?
0: Yeah. I was going to ask like, so there's a reference to the flaming lips ones. What are, do each of you have like a couple of in stores that you remember as being your favorite? I I have a really amazing photo
5: from when Elliot Smith played in the store. And I think it's Wendy, Elizabeth and cup all next to each other on the counter, like crying. Like, totally just, like, maybe it wasn't you, but there's, like, all like this. Vigorously shaking your head like this. It's super. Aww.
2: Yeah. Aww. Oh,
5: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really
2: I may have cried oh, during the, I oh, may have cried at the Neutral Milk in store. That would be one of my favorites. That one and the Dirty wow. Free in store were Oof. my favorites.
5: And the Olivia Tremor Control was a good one.
2: And the Apples in Stereo was oh, really there go. good. So many yeah. good in
5: stores. Yeah, I mean there's I I don't even think we ever made a got like
6: Mountain Boys in store. That was a good one. Oh, good Mountain Boys. Boys.
5: But I don't think oh. we ever and we had uh Yellow Tango did like three or four and Not a Surf did one and I Jonathan
2: just Richmond did three or oh, that four was a, that and he, was would, he would he would he so would good. jump up on our counter and uh, Oh my god. prance.
6: Just Yeah, we should just, try to oh my up god, up that's on, so cool. on a company not just singing. Just no nothing just on the
5: amazing performer. We should really try to come up with a comprehensive list, because I always try and then I remember other ones that, you know... What's the, the
6: first one you ever saw?
5: Ooh. Oh. Well, I first. remember Sol, Sold American was a big one, too. They were the, their first show in,
6: like, 30 years. Or so. yeah, yeah, but they're, like, in stores up at the uh, 24th Street shop. Couch. There's, like, Milk Hotel. Oh. We were having much
5: weirder ones up there because it was couch. Yeah, Couch. I remember Couch. I, remember, I,
0: I, um, I did go to one of the... First, the God's first one I you ever
6: throw, saw. Um, uh, Gosma Copilot, I believe, did it in
5: store. Up um, there Oh, and Good Horsey, Good Horsey. I went uh, to
0: Refrigerator, Refrigerator. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh, refrigerator. Man. Yeah,
0: I think I was probably like one of nine people there or something. I can't remember. I
5: think that that was a that was the first Aquarius had this, had definitely had like we were really tight with the, the sort of shrimper scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with like Mountain Goats and Franklin Bruno and all that. And then later it was like the Flying Nun New Zealand scene. And then, so I think there was, we definitely sort of became the go-to for all the little like micro scenes that people love that were often hard to find in the United States.
6: I yeah. think. And that fits in a lot with how, I don't know, how, how you all first found out about a chorus records, because none of us were there at the beginning. So we all found out about it somehow. And then some of us wound up working there. I yeah. learned about Aquarius Records before I moved to San Francisco from um, reading about probably an in-store performance in like an interview with a band in Banana Fish magazine. So mm-hmm. it was probably some shrimper band or something. That it, and they mentioned, oh, we did this in-store at Aquarius Records or something. And I was like, oh, and I moved to San Francisco, I'm going to check out the shop. And I remember going there the first time I went there, not knowing my way around San Francisco. Walking there from Market Street, being like, well, it says it's on whatever, like the cross street and going up this damn huge hill and down another hill is like not the way to go to get there and showing up in the, man, this is a really small store. And, but, uh, but, but loving it and, uh, and meeting Carl, who was working at the time and then uh, eventually ending up working there. So was totally was and, to and getting hired yeah. to be my boss when I was out of town. Right.
0: Let's not forget that. Right.
5: that. Yeah. <laughs> I came back and Alan was my boss. I was very upsetting. <laughs> you mean it was... <laughs> I mean, it was very exciting. That's what I meant. Exactly. <laughs> I just worked across the street. I worked at Holy Bagel across the street because oh. I was like touring all the time. So I had, you know, rock band jobs that I could just quit. And, and then I would just go to Aquarius every single day after work and hang out until I got hired.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is a lot like... I, like the thing with Lost Weekend too is like basically all these musicians worked there. Because they were so flexible, and because it was owned yeah. by a musician, mm. you kind of was like flexible about the uh, the working hours. Um, Actually, I, I, don't th- I, I don't. I don't think was, I know how Wendy found Aquarius.
2: No. Oh, I was working at um, Rainbow Records, which was like a franchise, and I worked at like two of their branches in San Francisco. Um, I think because Tower wasn't hiring when I first moved here in 1989, so I like worked. At- Stores, And then um, I think I had a friend at Aquarius and that's how I heard they were hiring. And so I went in and they gave me the job and I went home and bought a bottle of champagne. So that was like <laughs> in 89 or 90 or 91
0: or something. Yeah. And they're, but, used- um, oh, yeah, you know, right. we
2: didn't hire, we didn't necessarily like hire people because um, like, uh, like musician jobs because of the flexible schedule part of it or anything. Like I remember when I was hiring people, when I hired Alan and did I hire you Andy? I yeah. did, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I, well, it was because I could see that there like the store had blind spots um, in terms of genres and music that we like wanted to like be on top of and like be the spot for it. And we I couldn't you know so like Andy would come in and talk about metal and I didn't know what black metal was at the time and it was super early days for that. And I could it was clear that he just knew everything there was to know about it. Um, so that would be like why we hired him and we hired Jim because it is of like you know techno and electronic music background. So that's why we hired people. And it it turns out that like some of those people were also musicians, but everyone was just so cool and super passionate about the music. So, and so it ended up that we had a like really well-rounded staff when you looked at the whole, like everybody together.
0: Yeah. And and you guys, the film talks a lot about the newsletter and like Wendy, like you sort of like innovated like a a content management system basically for, for reviews and for, uh, audio samples that you guys were very early on having audio samples for records. Oh yeah, they did yeah. real audio. Yeah, back you had in the, the days of real audio. Out. Yeah, the M three U files and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah,
4: sixty four k quality. I think way in the beginning, you know. Hey, what do you what do you want for free samples, Ken? I love huh? it. No, I love it. It's just a, <laughs> I, it's, I've kind of reminisced about that. No, I mean we had now. people.
5: I mean that was kind of the ritual. But when you talk to people about their Aquarius, like what they <laughs> miss about Aquarius, they miss it's either Friday night or saturday morning they would be eating or drinking or smoking pot they would just spend the whole time reading reviews and listening to all the sound samples oh yeah
4: dude like That's it was very it.
5: much a ritual for like hundreds of people and that was it was kind of cool you know like like reading it alone would be really fun but actually being able to read it and hear all the bits and pieces of the stuff you're reading about like Justin, you know how justin talks about in the movie where we got him to buy that record that he ended up hating yeah. but Alan and I are like, this is the best record of all time. You have to buy it. And then he's like, oh, I, why did I buy this stupid thing? Um, and I'm sure that happened a lot. But 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 being able to like hear our crazy opinion and then form your own from actually listening to it, and mm-hmm. then combining the two to decide whether you really needed it or not. I think that's cool. That,
0: yeah. there was a line I think it was a, uh, there was a line someone said about shape hunting, where like uh, predators oh, yeah. like look for a shape. And say so yeah, that's, that's John Sharp. Just like certain keywords yeah. would like be that for, <laughs> for you. Like, yeah. No, that's what I would do. I would just scan
4: the list and I'd see sludge. of like, oh, zero in on that, you know? Yeah. yeah and the or millions, of, diff-
5: the millions of different like shimmery and <laughs> mesmer and yeah. yeah but yeah, like yeah. what
0: what year did you actually start, you know, making the, the you know, uh, from writing the reviews to having like a database of stuff? Like was the date the, that The Cap- first Irla. one
2: was like in 92 or something, maybe 90. Mm, it was before I did Lollapalooza and I did Lollapalooza in 92. So yeah, it was right before that um, was when we started the list. But I, I want to say that we didn't actually start a database for it until close to when we moved to, um, to Valencia Street. Mm-hmm. But we t- we still took all of the prior year's um, record reviews and, and fed them into the database.
0: And that—that's the thing. I kind of missed. I definitely miss that resource. I think it's only on like Wayback Machine now. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if there's a good repository for. We have. I, I, cus-
2: I still oh. go to it all the time on Wayback yeah. Machine or archive.org. <laughs> and but the only annoying thing is that you can't search. So you right. have to like. Oh, you have to <laughs> know
5: which yeah. which week it was or what. I mean, it was. I have a copy of the database, the uh-huh. FileMaker file for the Ooh. database. <gasps> which is huge, but we had a customer, (laughs) we had a customer make a little interface, but it was kind of slow to go through. Sure. Yeah. But my question is when I know it was probably a gradual process, but when did, like, I was looking at the old, you know, like list 12 and list 15 where the review literally said new record from stereo lab. That was the whole review. Like at what point did that turn into like 10,000 words? I know. I know. after you
6: started writing, reviews, I know <laughs> i to blame. But
5: like, yeah. it's it's it feels it feels like I had never written a review that short. But I know we did in the beginning, where did. we're like, you did, you know, two sentence reviews, As and a, then we just uh, sort creep. of grew and grew and grew. Yeah, it's
2: just so nice that that happened you know, that it happened that way. Like it, I feel like it happened naturally first. We were just like, Oh, let's give the kind of information that someone who knows this band might, you know, they might be, they might be excited that they have a second album out kind of thing, or maybe we'll just say a couple of words about the genre or whatever. But I think we got so much, um, positive feedback from describing things and telling people why we thought it was good and our, like our personal thoughts about it, not just the facts about the record that, someone would need to know in order to buy it, right? So we started talking about how we felt about it. And and we got so much positive feedback that I guess we just kept doing it. And then (laughs) and then I was like, and then we'll tape them to all the records. We'll tape, we'll print out all the reviews. And then I made a handwriting font for each person in the store. Yeah. Yeah, That was super fun. And so (laughs) the whole point was to make it as personal as possible. Well what's more personal than writing it in your own handwriting kind of thing, like your own review in your own handwriting.
0: It's like yeah, it's like your is like a craft project kind of too, like just cutting oh, yeah. out the, the reviews. So that's a continuation. Well, that became like that literally
5: became like one of the biggest full time jobs at Aquarius when you were working the counter was yep. the was the Making taking tags. the tags off things you sell, <laughs> putting them on things that you got in, having all the like the box of a hundred uh, uh, records that we just got in going through the alphabetized list of tags and finding them and putting yeah, them on. Right. Everything. The you have and,
0: to have and, tag and, filing system, right? Boxes
6: and boxes yeah. like, alphabetized. And then every, every other week when the list came out, someone had to print out all the reviews and make a hundred more, make all these tags to put on the, <laughs> on the releases in the store. So yeah. a lot of It was greatly appreciated. <laughs> it did not go unnoticed. <laughs>
5: No, it was great. It was funny too. I think this got mentioned in the um, movie too, but I, you know, I was touring a lot during a lot of this time and I would come across record stores in Europe where they would have tags on their records. And I'd be like, we wrote that. Like, that's my review. And I'd be Whoa. like, Hey, and they'd be like, Oh, we love Aquarius. I'd like, oh, that's, <laughs> yep. that's I guess you sure love guess, us a lot. Don't you? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that happened three or four times where I saw like people just like took our reviews and put them on records. And I'm like, eh, yep, Guess that's cool. Yep.
0: Do you uh, st- still, heard- you
6: know, buy something and find like, oh, the blurb on here on the, on the, you know, the sticker or whatever is from Aquarius. I mean, oh, yeah. I think
0: you have some like very specific things. Like it's the most anyone's ever written about like a CDR that came out in like 2006. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. So <laughs> maybe the only, re- the only definitive source of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly,
5: when, you know, when people ask like why Aquarius was special, I do think that there were like, you know, there are different chronicles, like I was saying about scenes, but also eras, like the CD, CDR era, Yep. Mm-hmm. like the customers who were interested in that found us and we were already loving that kind of music. It was just a new format. And so like all the New Zealand stuff and Birchville Cat, Cat Motel and all that stuff, We we were really the... Maybe not the only place to buy it, but the only place to learn about it if you had never heard it before, mm-hmm. and then like discover that you love this new thing, and then want to buy them all, um, yeah. which I thought was cool. One of the one of the things that made it special to me, I think.
0: And mm-hmm. and both Andy and Alan, you both do radio shows now, right? Or like they're not terrestrial radio; they are. Uh, it's like a streaming. Uh, yeah. Type on on thing. give me give me metal.
5: The, yeah. And Absolutely. I do one. I do another one in in Europe on uh, repeater radio too. Oh, we, like yeah, we, it's
0: a separate, I, and that's just like a separate. You you do two different shows.
5: I yeah. do two different shows because doing
0: gonna,
5: one, one for free isn't enough, so I just do it for free. <laughs> yeah. were, were you going to
2: ask George about like how that? Like I've always been curious about your guys's radio shows. Like how does it? um Like you're doing it for the same reason, right? That we were at Aquarius, but um, what does it feel like in terms of like connection to the musicians that are making music and connection with the audience? I think similar.
5: they have a really, the, the one thing Aquarius sort of predated in a way was we, you know, we did the list and the list definitely had a social component, but it was only this sort of once removed interaction. Like we had a social interaction with people reading the list and ordering records, but, they've done a really good job, at least at gimme with like a big, big part, you know, all the shows are pre-recorded, So as a DJ, you have nothing to do, but be in the chat. Yeah. So that's the talk, live aspect of it and talk with the listeners. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, cause if you were actually DJing, there's no way you could also right. chat. Yeah. So, so I've, you know, I've made friends like we, a lot of people listen to both me and Alan's same people listen to yeah. both our shows, but like we have a, we have regular listeners in New Zealand and, in and, uh, Australia Alaska, and all kinds of places. Australia. Yeah. And so it's really fun because it's it's sort of I think if Aquarius had continued on, we might have built something similar, like some yeah it would have been cool to have some like social that. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. And definitely like Aquarius
4: radio. Yeah.
6: Yeah. So you know it's limited because it's like, I mean, metal is a very diverse uh genre, so you can play a lot of different things, but it still can't play all the stuff we'd want to play necessarily in a total freeform format. But I yeah. do think I get, yeah, you know, Wendy, I get uh some of the same like being able to do the show was helpful in getting to have an outlet to share my enthusiasm and for weird new music I might find and to get some of that, like have some of that community and some of the people listening know about Aquarius and well, will in the chat, they're like, Oh yeah, and then we'll talk about it or whatever. And then some people don't and they're like, Oh, I heard about your documentary. I, you know, I really wish I could have, you know, shopped at your store. And, and so that's pretty neat. And then I've, yeah, like Andy's saying, like you know, made some new friends. I've like pen pals. There's a guy in England who I was listens to the show, and I was super stoked to find out that he used to play in a. He's been in a number of bands, but at one point he was playing drums of the band Sixteen Seventeen, which some of you might be That's familiar cool. with, Switzerland. And and uh was like, whoa, the dude from you know, a guy played drums of that band is listening to my show right now, and like, and he emails me <laughs> all the time, and we talk about <laughs> bands and stuff, and and in terms uh, of
5: like just sort of this world's colliding, you know, the, the music director of gimme is Brian Turner, who used to be the music director of WFMU who were like the college radio version of Aquarius. And then Tyler, the guy (laughs) who runs gimme was always this big Aquarius fan. Um, So there's definitely a lot of, yeah, a lot of callbacks to to our store.
0: Yeah. I was going to say like, maybe like it, you know, seven years ago or something, like I could see there was sort of maybe different options of where you could have gone with like the brand of Aquarius, right? Like I think about something like dub lab in LA mm-hmm. and how like, they're just like, like curators and also like DJs. And they maybe are different. Cause they have like a nonprofit model, uh, or, but like, I, I could sort of see like other ways, the kind of like, I don't know, brand of Aquarius could have morphed. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. you thought about a lot of stuff and maybe we was it were just like, how do you do this without like getting investors yeah. or even what yeah. was the role of the investors that were mentioned in the film? I don't, I don't know anything. I didn't know much uh, about that.
2: Uh, well, for me, um, Katz Nelson was one of three investors. They weren't really investors; they just lent me money so that I could buy the store from the oh, former okay. owner and move mm-hmm. it to Valencia Street. And mm-hmm. what they lent me, like in today's numbers, is kind of laughable. But I had zero dollars, so right. it was it was super welcomed, um, and I was so grateful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the people that let, let me money just to buy the store. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys also did something like that.
5: It wasn't to well, yeah, we had to borrow money. Yeah, to buy we the store. we yeah. borrowed money, but we all, you know, we had, I think we, we sort of got the store in this like golden era where like right before, what was it? 2008. So we had kind of a yeah, 2003. We had very dramatic, you know, the first three or four or five years were like gangbusters. And then 2008 happened. So we had oh, sort yeah. of a
6: very tumultuous, yeah, right. and down, and a lot of our kind of growing pains and stewardship. Heart, it was, yeah, and a lot of like kind of kind of having to transition from like working in the store to like also owning a store is, is, right. is, is, um, it's tricky because you still feel like you still have to do all those things you were already doing. And uh, as a you know, a day to day basis, and it was yeah. hard to do the big picture things, and and then there's not time to do it. It's like like yeah, hindsight. Yeah. There's a lot of things I do differently, and I think George has a good point about like there could have been lots of other paths we could have taken with with it had we had the the energy and the resources later on. And I think a lot of things if we would have thought of them sooner, you know, and kind of realized the writing on the wall, like you know. But we had a lot of there's a lot of wishful thinking going on when you're right. I think doing this one, sort of- one frustration was that a lot of stuff that
5: a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the way we de- ran the store was just cause that's how we did it. When she got the store, you know, like, like we sort of inherited, yeah, inherited processes, operational instead of, stuff, instead yeah. of creating our own. And mm-hmm. I always thought, man, if we weren't just so like, we couldn't, we were one of those stores where we couldn't close for a day cause we would lose a, or something or whatever it was. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I always fantasize, I'm like, imagine if we could just close for a month yeah, and we could redo the entire store, exactly the color and the shelves that we wanted, Mm -hmm. put a new, you know, like everything you always want to do, but don't have time or money to do. So instead you just sort of inherit processes and nudge them and change them slightly
6: yeah Yeah, many of which are good but then some things you you just do you know things have to change and if but in a perfect world you would
5: be improving
6: and sort of iterating on
5: things instead
6: of just you know yeah
2: Yeah. Yeah. You spend, there was always so much, I mean, some people probably have a fantasy that working in a record store is just sitting around listening to records and nothing (laughs) could be further from the truth because you're working all the time. There's so many little things that you have to do and all these little tasks. And and a lot of that was self-inflicted because the tags and the writing and whatever. Got
6: time to lean, you got time to to, clean.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That was what we needed to do to like whatever, like make the store the quality that we wanted it to be. Um, But yeah, the, the, the results of that, one of the unintended results was that we never had time to like, pick our heads up and just yeah. think a little bit bigger picture, but we talked about it all the time. Like something as little as like, Hey, we should make mixtapes for all the stores on Valencia street. So like, they could just like play the music that we sell and they could send people to start something as little as that mm-hmm. to like, I interviewed <clears> a bunch of music supervisors in Hollywood. Cause I was like, that seems like a really good thing that I'd be qualified to do, you know, or yeah. Aquarius would be qualified to do like big things like that. Um, like using our knowledge and our passion and our like beautiful connections in the whole industry and like maybe making more than just minimum wage wouldn't that be nice but like we never had time yeah. to fucking think about it even yeah. like to yeah. do it to make We'd it happen. Be, like
6: put on a festival every year wendy put on a festival oh, yeah one time yeah. but like yeah. oh the terror tar- tar- stock doing that, you know yeah yeah. yeah actually, and Andy had a label, but the store could have, like, we released some some releases for Record Store Day, but With I think the, we could have done more yeah. of that as well. Like, there's all these different, you know, you put I out mean, a common
0: did. Did. book, right?
6: That was like an Aquarius release. <laughs> well, we did, right? and we did like a, a Carlton uh,
5: Melton and a, White Hills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think what we fund what we did fundamentally was we created this thing that was really special and really unique, but unfortunately was so labor intensive, yes. super labor that it yeah. made it impossible to scale and impossible to keep going, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like even when, and that was the problem when, when, when sales kind of dipped like to do the list and to do everything we wanted, we still had to have four or five people working, even though like we weren't selling anything Mm -hmm. because it just took so much like man and woman power to get things done mm-hmm. yeah yeah um you know and we did that to ourselves Cause, But cause like, you're
6: selling stuff that no one's gonna buy unless you write about it and tell them why it's so right. awesome that you love it and and you couldn't order the stuff and just expect people to walk in and buy it or to order from you you know the website they have to read about it and right. so you have to write the stuff and you have to yes. source it and and so yeah it's having, just a, having
0: like a, a critical metadata about a cdr where your markup is like you maybe make <laughs> two bucks on it you, so have you have to, do have to sound like,
6: yeah, and you yeah. can't do volume when there's only twenty five copies of the Sierra yeah. to begin with, and you got all the copies. Like <laughs> yeah. You still, it's still only twenty five copies of it, and the margin's really small. So, yeah, it's a solution proposition in the end. But you know, we I think we we, yeah. land, we you know, we all we all found other things to do after Aquarius. You know, we a, tried
5: to think of different solutions. We were like, well, what if we don't do mail order? That would solve part of that problem where we're just in the mm-hmm. store. We wouldn't always have to have four or five people working but the mail order and the international reach is kind of what made it so cool. Yeah, you a had hub. to keep that going. Or yeah. could we...
6: where and, and I, where we only and did I talked order. about
5: closing the store and having a mail
6: order. But then, then mm-hmm. I think people aren't as interested in ordering from a place if they don't have it in their mind, even though they're never going to go there, but they can imagine that there's this physical place with these people in it that they... <laughs> Could someday they could imagine aspire to to the visiting? And you have more cachet and everything if you have that. So I, I, I love that lo- idea. I would have lost but something
5: it, too. I love that idea, but in retrospect, probably might have been a good idea. Like right now, how do you order most of your music? Like Bandcamp and yeah, you know, Hell's Headbangers or whatever. Like I to be, yeah, Still. I was gonna
0: say like if you like imagine that you had to you had stayed open and then you got hit by COVID, like how would that have even? Oh my worked? God, do well, I know, we avoided that. Yeah, Revolver oh, I think had a yeah. good. Yeah, uh, their their mail letter went up during COVID. I mm-hmm. think even their their retail sales, their wholesale sales might have gone up. But like I can't, yeah. My sister also had a retail, has a retail store, and she had a retail store on Valencia Street for a long time. So I've heard a lot of these similar mm-hmm. things of like you are just so bogged down in your operational stuff that you can't like rethink what you're doing. It yeah, yeah, would point. not have
5: been fun. So and George, you and I can relate to like, you know, George put out my band's first record. <clears throat> which was like made, recorded, made, released, all right During in COVID. the middle of the pandemic <laughs> where people aren't going to record stores. There's there like, no live shows. There's yeah. no live yeah. shows. What are you going like, to do with so it? It's, <laughs> so I can't even imagine it if we were trying to run a store. And I know, you know, we all know so many stores that we love or stores in our neighborhood that are not there because of COVID. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, yeah.
0: I, mean yeah, I, th- I think, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, it, it's cool because the film is sort of like, you get to experience all the community stuff. And like that, that I was there that day, your film that, uh, that anniversary in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, that was a really, I remember that being a really fun time and being like, yeah, I wish it was like this every, every yeah. weekend. I wish it was record store day, every, every yeah. weekend, which yeah. it just isn't. And, um, and now, a lot of stores actually don't like Record Store Day because you get stuck with Let's, a bunch of stock. Maybe we should get into that lose. subject, this, but yeah, this we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> we
6: have a couple yeah. hours to just get hey, Yeah,
0: <laughs> I thought I'd end on a bummer. No, um, no. no, no. I mean, I think you get to see the community stuff and the connections you guys have made, and like, you know, like I feel like my whole experience of living in the Bay Area would be totally different if you guys weren't there too. And like, I just oh. you know learned so much from being around you guys, and I think Ken really kind of captured, like, that, That you know, I don't think it's, like, all nostalgia because it just feels like, you know, this community kind of is still there. And there's, like, you know, it's just, like, the enthusiasm is still there. But it mm-hmm. is, like, it is just, like, San Francisco's changed, obviously. There's other documentaries about gentrification in San Francisco yeah. and, and how unaffordable it's become. Yeah, But it just is, like, yeah, it's, like, you know, it's just kind of a bygone era. I mean, there's a time when everything ha- cool happened in North Beach, and yeah. I was never around for any of that. Like mean, nothing cool ever happened in North Beach since I've lived here. You <laughs> know, so yeah. um it's things just kind of go through these weird cycles. I think the, everything's probably happening in the East Bay now. That's mm-hmm. just my sense from being. Well, that's East Bay
2: what first. I like. Yeah, that's what I like so much about um Ken's movie was that, you know, we all all of us here on this podcast like understand like the the Venn diagram of like all the different communities that overlapped with Aquarius, like as one, you know, pub of that, like beautiful network of communities. Um, we all know about that, but nobody had ever really documented it or like put it into one place. Um, and not only the, the communities that we were involved with, but through time, you know, since the seventies, like to, to make like this beautiful um, sphere, or just to, you know, to really capture that was like such a, Beautiful thing that you did, Ken.
4: Oh, thanks. I mean, it was yeah. definitely a challenge. and um, I don't know. I, I worked with this guy that said, "Hey, man, if you don't document it, it didn't happen, which I sort of take to heart with these things that I make documentaries about because they, they tend to be things that, you know, are under the radar or underground or or, or independent record labels and record stores. And we know about it. And the people who love the lists know about it. but uh, I feel like it, if there's not some sort of appreciative filmic document about it, then it's almost kind of like it's, you know, it happened. But hopefully people in the future will watch it and go, "Oh, wow, that's cool." People would go to record stores and buy stuff and talk to people and get recommendations from someone standing right in front of your face. That's that's a novel idea, you know, it's, and yeah, that's it's what I just, loved about that store.
2: It's beautiful. And like, it, as with you coming in at the tail end of the history of Aquarius records mm-hmm. um, and, and, and wrapping that up and documenting it, like you then become a part of that history and you've become a part of like all of our collective story of the store.
5: Oh yeah. T- you know, another reason why that's valuable is like, I, I sort of, you know, Alan and I work at the same place, but somehow Somehow I've lucked into, not that we don't both like enjoy our jobs, but for me personally, I lucked into this situation where my job is actually still helping artists. Like that's something that I've always done and wanted to do. And I don't think I would stay at Pandora if I didn't, if that wasn't the thrust of my job. But so I I travel a lot and I speak to artists and because of Aquarius and music and stuff, I'm not just there being like, Hey, Pandora is cool. So I'm always like, let's talk about band camp. Let me tell you about touring. Let me teach you how to make t-shirts. And like, it's very organic. But the last few times I was speaking to artists two different times, I was like talking about things you could do. And I was like, yeah, you know, you could just make, make a seven inch and no one in the room knew what a seven inch was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was talking to another group of artists and I was like, yeah. And you know, you'd find this band that's very similar to you and you guys could do a split together, and they're like, "What's a split?" And I'm like, Oh "A <laughs> uh, collab." That would be a collab. Yeah. It's a collab. Yeah, and they collab. could do a I feature. Say, they say, could I'll do a, a seven inch, and there's like, "Oh God!" But I, but you know, like, <laughs> it's interesting too because I, I, it makes me curious about like what sh- what shape or form Aquarius would have taken if it had made it to 2022 when like the world is more sort of TikTok and streaming and et cetera, et cetera. Like I think yeah. there's still obviously always going to be people who are nerdy and want to buy objects, but I think there are going to be, and there are developing ways to sort of tie all that together, you know, to yeah. streaming and playlists and physical and et cetera. And I think we, I think we could have been a great
6: part of it, but I think we had just yeah. we had plans out. at one time to start a download store. Yeah,
5: I remember. I never that. got off the oh, ground, but
0: that that that's also in the other music talk. And that would have been about you know that wouldn't work. You know, in the long yeah. run, that would have not <laughs> helped. But yeah, but an but,
1: Aquarius
6: yeah. streaming service, yeah. though, yeah, <laughs> would be cool. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that one of the things that um, endures in all of us that. Um, in all of us, all of us, all of us here, um, and something that I learned from the experience at Aquarius, it, and and it's it's this attitude that I think we all still carry with us, which is that. You know, somebody who makes a record, makes music, who creates art in their bedroom in a very, very like you know humble way, and like has the courage to put that out into the world. Like we, we want to pay attention to that. We know that that art has value. It doesn't matter what fucking label it's on, if it's on a label at all, who released it mm-hmm. or who made it. Um, like that kind of care and attention and valuing seemingly small things that aren't very small is, uh, is an attitude that I, I think of every day. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, clearly Andy does, and I'm sure Alan does too, and all of you guys, if I yeah. could just like, for an ex- give an example for a second, like all the, so I make art out of knots now, which is like the weirdest thing in the world and who would ever do such a stupid thing, right? Quote unquote," But people ask me all the time, like, wh- how, you know, do you miss Aquarius or like, how does that, how did that affect what you do now kind of thing? And I'm like, there's a clear line because we would sell records like of music by elephants in Thailand or like a musician with Down syndrome from Argentina, or like um, a policeman from Ethiopia in 1974. Like we would, we valued all of that and we wanted to listen to it. Um, And so for me, like no matter how esoteric the thing you're into or the thing you're making is, if you, if you do it with a lot of passion and heart that, and put it out into the world, it will find an audience. And I'm finding that with my art now, even though I'm not you know, directly making music or anything, but it's this attitude that I bring to seemingly small esoteric mm-hmm. things and knowing that they have value.
5: And I honestly think That's awesome. you were <laughs> like, you really spearheaded this idea of, you know, like now you think, now you take it for granted that no matter what you like, there's a thousand people somewhere on the internet that like the same thing. Yeah. But when we started the store and when we, you know, even partway into the store, that didn't exist. And so the list was a musical version of that. like. People were like, "Oh, I love listening to cars crashing and old broken refrigerators." Nobody else likes that, and we're like, "Oh, actually, we have a CDR of that, and it's yeah. awesome." You or know? better
6: yet, <laughs> the people who didn't know that they liked that because they never heard it before, yeah, but then that. they discovered that they liked it, and they never would have. So,
5: but I, yeah. you know, and we talked. I guess I think that gets talked about a little bit in this in the movie, but that's also potentially we were filling this niche that was not being filled at all. Whereas now it's not so much of a niche. Like you, you know what I mean? Like, like Aquarius was very, very special and very, very unique and always will be. But I think one of the great things about the internet and about this, like connectedness is that like, nobody is alone in their weird obsession anymore. There's more access, Um, but, but yeah, it makes it for more access. And you need more guidance. Yeah. You need the guidance. You need the guidance. That's what Aquarius
4: did.
6: Yeah, like some of the stuff, like you're saying, like if it's a recording of ice uh, you know, melting and cracking or something, what unless you're already into that, the algorithm is probably not going to serve it up to you. Right. And but you could yeah. come into Aquarius and go, like, wow, what's this that's playing? Or like, I'm interested in this thing. And then and then, you know, you would read about it. Well, we write about it in a very, you know, genuine, enthusiastic way, it would get you intrigued and you'd give it a chance and you might discover something new. And 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 even though, you know. Andy and you know, I work in a place that does, you know, it's there's a lot of discovery you can do with a, uh, with a streaming service, but you still have to work at it a little bit. And otherwise, you know, you know, and, and you can find all kinds of things, just going down YouTube rabbit holes and stuff like that. But you know, the world has always, when people can also, you know, have a, have I think a human
5: is- the world has always benefit benefited from curation for sure. Like there's too much, too much of everything to mm-hmm. take it all in and to parse it in a way that's yeah. effective and having a, a guide who really
6: cares and loves what
5: they're mm-hmm. talking about will always be valuable. Yeah. And, and,
6: and lots of people can offer curation. And I mean, that's what, you know, you read zines and everything else, but Aquarius had a feeling of like, we didn't have the boundaries that some people put up about like what's cool and what's not cool. Like we, we, we would actually kind of actively try to, to you know, ignore those boundaries. No doubt, And, and so, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> exactly. Um, record of the week. Um, and so, and so I think that was, that was kind of, you know, mm-hmm. special too. So.
2: Well, what I've learned from the art world, um, uh, not having gone to art school, but the little that I've learned from being in the fine art world now is that curation is not a word to take lightly, right? Curation is, um, it's serious business and not everybody can do it. Curation is not like, throwing a bunch of songs onto a Spotify playlist and going like Wendy's mix or yeah. whatever. And what we did was serious curation because we were thinking about context. We would place the black metal scene in the context of all the music, you know, that came before and that was happening at the moment or, you know, whatever Japanese noise. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we, so we were we were making connections between scenes and among scenes and through the decades and giving a lot of context and then getting excited and telling people about that context. And that's the more serious business of curation Mm -hmm. that we did that I can think of few people that do now in music.
0: Mm -hmm.
5: Mm -hmm. Well, I think curation has definitely become like, I don't know what the word for, but you know, like, Hey everybody, I curated breakfast this morning. You know, <laughs> yeah. like speak on this total, like <laughs> yes, it it's it sort of overplayed, yeah. but like real buzzword. passionate, informed, educated, loving curation is still something that's unique and special. And I do think that Aquarius had that big time. That's
0: that's what we did here on SUP Doc, telling you about all these new documentaries that are about <laughs> I to love come it. out. Uh Ken, do you want to promote the screenings that are that you just got announced today?
4: Yes. Yeah. If uh You listeners at home have uh, liked what you've heard today uh, and live in the following cities. You could come see this movie Um, on October 4th, Tuesday at 6 p.m. The Los Angeles premiere of It Came From Aquarius Records will happen actually at the place where I work, Los Angeles City College in the music building. Hey, Ken, who are Uh, the special guests for that one? The special. I'm glad you asked, Andy. The special guests are myself and howie klein Ooh. who's uh, featured in the first 31 minutes of the documentary as the as uh the guy who helped who started help help start 415 records he was the president of reprise records in the 90s and helped sign like flaming lips the boredom's faith no more and uh he also was um dj the first punk rock show in the nation back in San Francisco on K San, So he lives in LA and will be joining me at that show. Uh, then also two days after that in Tucson, Arizona, Ooh. on October 6th, the film will be having its Arizona premiere at the Tucson Film and Music Festival.
5: Hey, Ken, have you thought about having my mom as a, as a special guest? She lives in Tucson.
4: Dude. Yes. She's she, did, she by is the way,
5: down, we're doing this. By the way, my mom was very upset that you didn't talk to her for the movie.
4: Well, because I knew, I knew that this moment would come and, you know, she could, she could join she'd me on the stage. Panel, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to exactly. tell her. Seriously. That would be amazing. It would and be pretty funny. I don't know if she'd do it, but it would be really funny. I think it'd be awesome. Tell her that I would love to, and I'll, I'll contact her on the, on, on the socials. Okay. And then, um, it's actually playing in Southwest Utah at Doc Utah festival, which is a documentary festival in St. George, Utah in, um, November third and November fifth, and then it's going to be playing in Brooklyn, New York, in late November. Uh, we haven't decided a date yet because it's going to be a film and music night where you watch the movie at Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg, and then you go down the street to Union Pool and see some live bands that are very Aquariusy.
0: Okay, so yeah. to
4: be to be announced. Yeah, and, and to be announced, yeah. We're trying to um, coordinate the, the film screening night and the me- live music night. They both have to be on nights where nothing's going on in those two venues, and that's the hard part. What's,
0: the, what's the website where our listeners can find you or some socials you've got going for the film? Oh, yes. So uh, if
4: you want more information about these screenings and just about the film in general, you can go to my website, which is www.thescourge.com. H-E-S-C-O-U-R-G-E.com. Um, it's a reference to the movie Dead Man. For those that know there's a there's a scene where Icky Pop and Billy Bob Thornton sit around a fire and Billy Bob Thornton says, What's a scourge? And it's it's a really funny scene. I was like, that'll be the name of my production company. Yeah, because I love that movie too. Um you could also go to the Facebook. Uh, site, which is facebook.com slash aqdoc or Instagram. Uh, look for uh, instagram.com AquariusDoc. Hashtag aqdoc, hashtag AquariusDoc. Yeah. Just Google it. Or just Google it. There's If you do a Google search for it, it came from Aquarius Records, it will be the first thing that pops up. And there's um, also a, there's also a really good uh, Instagram Aquarius RIP,
5: which is where I've been posting yeah. oh. old flyers and uh, nice. in-store stuff and photos from back in the day. so
0: Nice. yeah. And Andy, you also have a band you want to promote your band.:
5: <laughs> Yes, please, so George can afford to keep doing this podcast by our record. Uh, uh, we have a band uh, actually me and Mark, who used to work at uh, Aquarius have a, have a band called my heart and inverted flame. And George put out our first record. Uh, the title's too long, so I don't even remember what it is. Um, but it's on uh, Zum, which is an awesome record label. And we're actually talking to Ken about maybe even playing the premiere in New York. Yeah. Um, and then both Alan and I have radio shows. My radio show on gimme is called battle flutes and sideways skulls, which was on KOSF for years before it turned into a metal show. Um, and then I do another show. On repeater radio
6: in the UK called Castle Weather. In my show, Castle and Gimme, Weather. Castle Weather. My show and Gimme is called By This Wax I Rule, and that's on Mondays. Which is ironic because Alan does not listen to Wax. Right. He's got a giant CD tower.
5: <laughs> the uh, Look CD background, all behind him. But I don't I know, know why he doesn't call it <laughs> By This CD I Rule.
0: <laughs> By this plastic, I rule. Work. The pun doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> And then, um, Wendy, you had a book that came out, The Year of Knots, and you're you're showing in art shows all the time. Uh, What's your website that people should check out?
2: Oh, you can just Google my name, Wendy Chen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram.
0: And then, yeah, and Ken, you've got your, yes, we already announced the AQ doc. George, tell us about your, uh, your, your websites. Oh, well, I just did launch my new podcast, which is very much like the Conet Project. Cause it's me reading a bunch of numbers to help you fall asleep. It's called the Pi cast. You just type in the symbol for pie and cast.
6: So this podcast wasn't to help people fall asleep.
0: Uh, inadvertently, <laughs> this is just like, this is the intentional fall asleep podcast. I was going to say like, if, if AQ is around, I'm sure you would have an ASMR section. We did have an ASMR section basically
6: like, oh. yeah, we kind of did essentially. Just didn't, didn't call it that.
4: What was that? What was that section called? Found, found sounds, sounds found and sounds, field recordings yeah. i mean oh, yeah. if, if if the sounds of
5: deers fucking or <laughs> the squeaking of bats slowed down made you sleepy then yeah we did have that
0: yep. <laughs> oh was it matt <laughs> graining had, was a matt graining had the the animal sounds <laughs> slowed down record? yeah birds bird
4: song slowed down he loves oh, what? That is stuff. he gonna
0: is he might he show up at the uh the, the uh but yeah we should sp- ask
4: matt when you're in la, LA thing you know what? That's uh that's a. You know what? I'm gonna send an email out right when this podcast is done. Yay. Hell yeah, hell that yeah, that would be
0: awesome. I'm glad I could help with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's great film, and uh, eventually, uh, hopefully, we'll, there'll be another way to watch it online for people that aren't in these cities, and we'll have to is follow Ken's website. Oh, and I hate to say that. this.
5: I hate to say this out loud, but I'm gonna do it because it'll force Alan and I to. Oh. Get our shit together, but there is an Aquarius book Ooh. coming someday nice. that yep. will <laughs> include thousands of reviews, lots of photos. Uh, it just requires Alan and
6: I, yeah. and, and there may also person. be there might yeah. also be a, huh? a Andy and Alan podcast. Oh yeah, that's also in the works,
4: dude.
6: But and I would
5: definitely the the Aquarius book is something we've been talking about for a while, and we actually it was part of our agreement with stranded when they bought aquarius is that we were still going to do this book and use all our reviews and the best part is that every book will come with an actual aquarius tag that was in the store oh my awesome. god so, oh
4: my god oh my god that's <laughs> awesome can i you yeah. heard, can, it can I heard it here first choose their tag
5: or
0: it here it totally random
5: um it would be uh, random It'll be random, but we'll probably recognize names and maybe be a little, uh, Ooh, you know, pick yes. pick something you like. Yeah. So,
4: but yeah, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> so, so, so Turge or Turge or I'm sorry, Turier in Norway. He'll get the Nico case tag. That's right, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay.
0: Thanks everyone for taking time out of your schedule I, to do this. Uh, thank you, George. Thanks so much. Thanks, George. Uh, thanks, Ken, for making the film. Uh, oh, we'll thank you. See you all later. Thank you, thank you Wendy, Alan, Andy, Ken, Thomas.
6: We should do this m- more often. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Another
0: 25 girl? years. We'll do another <laughs> one.
6: <laughs>
2: This I is thanks. what your podcast is going to sound like, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I love it. I would listen to the old married couple any day of the week.
4: <laughs> I would love to yes. hear you guys talk,
2: and I want to be a guest
4: on it. Oh, of course, all right. deal. That is one thing that people said about Andy and Al in a lot of interviews. Like, you gotta, you gotta really talk to them about their whole married couple shtick.
0: Yes, yes.
4: <laughs> I get, I get hassled all the time on on a radio show.
5: There's mm-hmm. this like fake rivalry rivalry between Alan and I on Gimme he started before me too. So I'm always like, Oh, I'm going to catch up to Alan. I'm going to get Alan and blah, blah. And in the chat, people are always like, when is that podcast going to happen? When is that podcast? I'm like, All right, make GIMA. that
0: content, make that yeah. content guys. Yeah. We did a it.
6: show. We did a couple shows together on, on gimme and people, people did enjoy that. Yeah. They were pretty funny. There was plenty of bit.
5: You got, Don't worry. Yeah.
0: I, I love <laughs> that you work together still. And yeah. <laughs> to this day. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about SubDoc at subdocpodcast.com. Our theme music was written by David Siegel, and our executive producer is Will Scoble. Our associate producer is Nick Coltus, and our editor is Kern Hogg. Donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash subdocpodcast. If you want to help out in other ways, please share this show with a friend. Join the Doc Talk and check out our hot takes, pictures, and videos on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're SubDoc Podcast on all those platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts. Find Paco and George's comedy gigs on the About Us page on our site. SubDoc is by Doc fans for Doc fans. So if you want to advertise, got a film, or opinions to share, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you and what you're docking out on. Email us at subdocpodcast at gmail.com.